We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now on to my guest for today, Nate Deanna, founder of Dumpling. When Nate Deanna was thinking of his next steps after working in corporate acquisitions, he realized that the companies with lasting success endured because of the grit and passion of their founders. He's found that passion through the business he co-founded, Dumpling, which is based around the question of helping those who are often invisible to the typical Silicon Valley entrepreneur. First, Nate tried crowdsourcing data from workers to help companies improve, but found that the market for that data was not ultimately helping the people he wanted to help. After crossing the country and talking to an array of people working in blue-collar jobs and trying out gigs like Instacart shopping, Nate and his co-founders decided to build tools that would help gig workers take charge of their own business. Dumpling seeks to be the solution to the recent rise of underpaid, exploited, gig workers, and to help aspiring entrepreneurs be the decision makers about the services they provide. Nate has drawn on his experiences working in technical customer support, product management, and corporate acquisitions at National Instruments and Cisco to develop and build Dumpling. 
Nate clearly is motivated by more than just wanting to build a successful business. He is driven by his passion to help others take charge of their own success. Now, let's get better together. Nate, Deanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, and you know, it's really great. We uh, kind of had this random uh, meetup on LinkedIn uh, because I was, uh, I was actually, I work for, a, you know, I have my own PR and marketing firm. And I have a client named Sutro. And, you know, we were looking to figure out this whole model of how we could enable people to, like, do delivery of, of pool chemicals, right? Um, and we wanted it to be not like a gig economy thing, but to have, like, some sort of real kind of, like, have a real business. And turns out that's what Dumpling does, <laughs> which I'm, like, blown away. I was really blown away. And, and there's a lot of awesome um, reasons why your model, I just, one, I love, and two, I just think you guys are really onto something. Uh, but before we talk about that, um, I always like to say, how did you do, how did you become who you are and how, how are you doing what you're doing? How did that all happen? Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity to chat more and share our journey of being an entrepreneur. And it's, it's the best journey you ever can go on and also the hardest one. Um, so uh, happy to share at least one more perspective on that. Yeah, so I am, um, you know, the gig model was a pretty new one. And definitely what I found um, in my experience and before I was doing doing dumpling, I worked at Cisco where I was doing corporate development. So it was mergers and acquisitions and, and venture investment. And the big epiphany I had in that whole experience was when you when you build a company that's successful, in the headlines you see a lot of these one one hit, one night wonder type experiences where you build a company, great idea, and six months later it gets bought for X hundred millions of dollars or billion dollars. Um, is is the I think the headline we want to we want to believe in. And when you when I was spent time as an acquirer, what I realized is the good companies that were getting acquired for for, for significant value, they they had spent a decade. Um, or more doing what they're doing. Um, on average, it was about 12 years that wow. to get acquired. 12 and 12 years. years for this is this is this is not your average company. These are the most successful companies getting bought by Cisco. Which is if you're getting bought by Cisco, you're you're high fiving and doing really well. Oh yeah, um, yeah. My uh, my fiance works for Cisco. Full disclosure. <laughs> okay, so. okay. I didn't. I I should have I should have done some more LinkedIn stalking of you <laughs> in the, before this. Uh, but but when you get bought, you're you're really yeah. you're generally quite happy. Um, and even in those most successful stories, you see how many ups and downs they had, you know, like near on the brink of failure ex experiences for those companies and those, those entrepreneurs. And the ones that make it 12 years, the only thing that gets them there is just pure grit. Like, I'm just going to keep on doing what I do because I care. It's like, it's like the passion part. I'm like, I have passion in what I'm doing. I don't care what it is. It could be, it could be dog food. It could be it could be work. It could be whatever that is. If you've got passion, that to me was the one thing that's going to keep you going for 12 years. On average, by the way, it could be 20 years, it could, but but you have better go that far. So when I really thought about what I want to do, uh, so as my own as a, as an entrepreneur myself, it was really on what's going to keep me motivated. Where in 10 years from now, I'm still going to be waking up saying like I want to keep on doing this because it's so amazing and it's a problem that I that I care about. And a lot of that was. When I had spent time as a, in the enterprise space with Cisco and also my co-founder, 
um, Joel, who was, who was at National Instruments, where we first met, that I'll talk about later, and then our third co-founder, Tom, uh, who was at Cisco and Google, we're all enterprise guys, you know, sol solving enterprise tech problems, you know, cool problems, but for a very, very small slice of the population. And when you think about lots of enterprise, any enterprise company, they're really solving for this very small um, component. And if you even then get into like the consumer plays, especially consumer plays that come out of Silicon Valley, a lot of it is 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 solving problems that exist in your in your own experience, right. which again is a very small group of people. It's like, right. oh, I work at Google for 20 hours a day. I need someone to do my laundry and do my grocery shopping. I'm going <laughs> to think about an app that's going to like automatically deliver um, daily these things. And one of our advisors calls these like mom services. Yeah, like things your mom used to do for you that yeah. now you know you're like a big person you have to do for yourself. So yeah. it's great. Let's make technology to do that. I, I call them bro apps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I love that. So, bro apps and mom apps. Yeah. Um, these they're like clever ideas, um, but really to me they're just unfulfilling because it's like it's like it's it's like where is their value being created, uh, and then for whom is there the question? And that was what what me, Joel, and Tom were really striving to figure out of like is like we want to feel like we want to feel good about what we're doing, and you see a lot of entrepreneurs even even today like. You know the ones that are super successful. You know Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, they do something that's that's targeting you know people with income and wealth, some sort of value, and then they make so much money, billions of dollars. Great. Now I'm gonna now I now have done so well. I'm gonna now donate my money somewhere else. And that to me I think is very much like the 1990s, 2000s versions of like starting a company. Like I'm gonna create or Facebook even Mark Zuckerberg. I'm gonna create a bunch of value selling grandma's data um, right. to, to advertisers. And now I'm going to create like the Zuckerberg Foundation to like go donate my stuff. Like that, that to me is unfulfilling as well. We wanted to be a model where it's like the thing we're actually building is actually meaningful and helpful for people that need it. Um, and by the way, we can still do good do on the way if we want to. But like the, the core thing we build, that has to do positive things for the world and not just be create a bunch of value over here for someone else and then, and then transfer through donations over here. It's not a model that, that we wanted to do. So that got us focused on um, initially what we called blue collar jobs. We said, and that was a very broad, you know, uneducated view of blue collar. So we were right. we literally quit our jobs, went on the road um, from East in East Palo Alto to uh, um, all the way across the sort of through, you know, through Texas, through Oklahoma, through Arkansas, all the way to the East Coast, talking to, we sort of call them blue collar jobs, bus drivers, truck drivers, we put teachers, nurses in there. People who sort of work, you know, you're, you're what I call the average American. Mm -hmm. And this was also, this is 2016. So right in the middle of the election cycle. And there was this whole, you know, sort of like Silicon Valley awakening of like, holy cow, there's a whole group of people that don't think like me or look like me that are out there. Never met them before, but they're out there. Yeah, they're over in um, those, those flyover states that everyone talks yeah, about on the and, coast. And, exactly, exactly. And it, 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 for sure, they, they exist, you know, we can, I, I went to high school in Stockton. So Stockton kind of becomes oh, yeah. a place where it's very different. Stockton's different than here. Oh, yeah. Um, I went to school in Nashville. I lived in Austin. So I sort of saw, my, my I was actually finished high school in, in Little Rock. So I saw that there's like this whole different world out there. And our inspiration for me, Joel and Tom was, what if we took all this cool stuff happening in Silicon Valley, like machine learning and security and this and automatic payment and apps, but solve problems that don't exist in our backyard, but solve problems for like the bus driver hanging out in Edmond, Oklahoma. And that was it. And we had no, so that we could have quit our job to do that. 
we spent a few months like ideating to figure out what the problem is. <laughs> um, you know, so that's like, that's like the best part of an entrepreneur's journey. Like, oh, yeah. you have no, no, no like responsibilities other than like whiteboard and think about ideas and exactly. talk to people. It's, so it's an awesome time. So we had fun with that. And ultimately we said our, so our first product was um, we thought is, wow, there are millions of people who have all these ideas of what to do at work, how to improve the bus route or how to improve the nursing schedule or how to, how to teach kids better or, hey, the Walmart employee, how do I actually optimize checkout experience? And the thing we heard over and over again was I'm, I'm the person who knows the most about what's happening in my business, but no one cares about what I say. Like I'm just like the random clerk at, at Walmart or I'm the bus driver over here. Um, I, so I've got no voice. Was so kind of the, I, I have no voice. Was this message we, Joel and me we heard over and over again? So our first product was was effectively called the glass door for blue collar, which is you you tell us where you work, what your ideas are to improve your company, and then we crowdsource those ideas. And then ultimately we said, listen, companies don't care about if like some random person, but if it gets enough critical mass, and if we can amplify it, not sort of bottoms up, but what I learned about like when you acquire companies. When you acquire companies, it's top down. You have to get the, the top people of both companies to agree on a vision and merge it, and then it kind of trickles down. Right. So we said the same thing. Of if there's issues that happen on, on the ground at a bus depot or at Walmart, you got to get the CEO involved, the board members involved, investors involved. You have to amplify, get the press involved, and really say, like, here's issues that are emerging on the ground and get it in, in perspective of the people at the top. So that was our whole model. Like, get data, crowdsource these ideas, and amplify it. It's actually a ter- terrible idea because we got a lot of, <laughs> lot of usage. Um, we got a lot of usage, um, and our business model was was kind of terrible, which was great. We have all this data. Right. We actually had Uber reach out. Uber wanted to like buy our data mm-hmm. to say, "Listen, because you have all this data on Uber drivers, like real data on like what they actually think about what could be improved, not just like surveys that they do, but like real data. Yeah. How pricing changes per zone, per hour, per for this. What my issues are. Like we had a bunch of cool stuff like that." we were very vocal on, on, on Facebook and Twitter and everything else and what that data is. And that was like sort of attractive thing. And then we realized selling enterprise data to big tech companies is a terrible, is like not, not what I want to do. I, that's terrible. It's just terrible. Um, yep. So, so we went through, I think a four month sales cycle to realize this is, we don't like, I don't want to be doing this job. Like I don't want this job. Right. So, but what came out of that was, of all these groups of people that were pretty disenfranchised, you know, Walmart gets, you know, people get a pretty bad rap of like working at Walmart. And what we heard is a lot of Walmart employees were like, I'm sick of people bashing Walmart. It's actually a great job. I actually get good benefits. I get good, good hours. Like I actually like my people, like the people I work with, like actually got surprisingly good marks. And then you heard companies like Instacart pop up mm-hmm. and Uber pop up. And these are like, you know, you know, modern tech companies, like all about like change the world, you know, be your own boss, all these great things, like have an app to do all this stuff, make some extra money. And you would think very much like this, this awesome experience you'd expect. And it was the bottom of the bottom, meaning like terrible experience. And Instacart for sure was at the bottom of the bottom, within the gig, which is already sort of the bottom. Yeah. It was like the worst of the worst. Wow. And we heard these just terrible stories about, hey, I make most of my money on tips, but Instacart steals my tips. Or there's all these things where, hey, they force me to, you know, pick up these bags of sugar that I can't actually pick up because it's too heavy. And then I hurt my neck. And then because I wasn't available because I was I was actually at the hospital, I, I got penalized because I was no longer to take, take new orders. Wow. And then, hey, when I get fired, 
I get it's an email that they send to me saying you've been deactivated. And so it's all these things that came up and we're like, oh, and we're like wait, oh, this is like, what the heck? Like, this is, this is like, what the heck is going on here? Especially yeah. from like, this is not like working at some, you know, coal plant. Like no. this is like a, a San Francisco based tech company that's, you know, sells, you know, gives free lunches to all their employees kind of stuff. And yet people in, who use, you know, the actual people doing all the work are, are like just telling us these terrible experiences. So then we started, so that was like our aha, like, wow, there's something going on here in our backyards. And it's, it's, it's not just like this big, bad company somewhere else. It's like literally like right over there, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and I can see these guys <laughs> yeah, and under the, it's what makes it, and under the auspices of like, we're helping people like create their own businesses and make more money and all this kind of great stuff that we were just like, it was just appalling. Like it was appalling for us. And that's where it was. So we spent time. Um, so I became a Instacart shopper um, and a Lyft driver. Um, so same as Joel, he did, he did, uh, he's up in Seattle. So he did the same thing up there. And we started spending time like doing these jobs and then beginning to meet other people doing those jobs. We are, what you find is gig work is very isolated. Mm. So most people are very, are attracted to online communities. So then there's all these Facebook groups for Instacart groups and Shipt and Uber and Lyft and all these Instacart, all these Facebook groups are online that just talk, I mean, all day long, um, about what's going on. And especially what you realize is when you're doing gig work, the dirty secret is most of the time you're not doing any work. You're sitting around waiting, waiting waiting. in a parking lot or on your couch, like waiting for something and obviously not getting paid because, you know, you can't schedule the stuff, but you're on, you're on, you're available, not getting paid, but you're sitting on waiting. So a lot of that time is you're on, you're like, you're doing other stuff. Like you're messaging on Facebook, you're doing whatever you want to do. And that's where we found this amazing community. And then saw just the work that's being done there. Um, you know, I, I was delivering groceries in San Francisco. Worst experience ever. Like worst, worst experience ever. Of wow. you now, you know, you you turn on the app. I got an order in San Francisco. Started driving to the to the actual. Um, uh, I think it was Whole Foods. Getting start getting messages saying, "Hey, why are you running so behind? Like you're gonna we're, you're, we're gonna reassign this order to someone else." I was like, well, listen, you knew where my location was. The order was literally an hour away. San Francisco, like you can't get anywhere in, in, in less than an hour. Yeah. So it was an hour away. Then, and then, as soon, then finally got to the store late and then you're being timed. Like, so you're being timed for every single thing you pick up. So you, if you okay, find the avocados, okay, pick it up, scan it, mark it off. Oh, this, this, this condensed milk. I have no idea where condensed milk is. Like, is that, is that in the dairy section? Is that in this section? So walk around the store for, for, for 20 minutes, checking things off. And the whole time being timed and being told, hey, you're going too slow. The customer's not going to be happy. All these kind of things um, in the message. And then finally, you finish it. You deliver it. It was literally for like three things. So I think I made like $2 for the entire for the entire um, trip. And that was it. And I drop it off at the store. They grab it and they walk away. And then I'm kind of like, okay, I made my two bucks. What do I do next? Wait around a bunch of time and then got no more orders. Now it's kind of my day. Um, and, then, and then as I did this, I met people who were telling us, like me and Joel, every day, I actually really like shopping. Like I actually, which you don't hear from a lot of gig apps, you know, Uber drivers aren't typically saying, wow, I just love driving. It's just an awesome <laughs> job. I'm on the road. I'm like, it's freedom. It's well, like- I mean, there's make, I've met one guy in San Francisco that was like the first, one of the first Uber drivers. He was like, I don't know how many, it was tens of thousands of, of trips. He says, I just love to drive because I love to talk to people. So 
Yeah, true, true. No, so that that's you know that that I, those I have met those guys too, and they're out there. Yeah. Um, I think they're rare. rare it's very but rare. They're out there. Yeah, it's very rare. What's what actually I found different is in other other gig work, like if you're looking in like dog walking type things, uh, like WAG or Instacart was another one where we found the people doing the work really did enjoy the work. Like, hey, I actually like being in the store. I like helping people think about their food. I like just like interacting with, 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 with their homes and I'm taking care of their families and thinking about what, what their kids like and what their allergies are. Like all these things that were just kind of inspiring. Like, wow, people, people really they like what they're doing. And at the same time they say, yet I hate the app that I work for. Like this app is my overlord. It might, it micromanages everything I do. And most of my income comes not through like the, 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 it's it's sort of dynamic is dynamic pricing, which means I have no idea how much money I'm going to make until the end. Um, which is kind of, which is, which is a terrible, which, which is fine. If you're, if you're a real independent contractor where, Hey, if I set my hourly rate at 50 bucks an hour, Mm -hmm. no problem. It's like, great. Of course, all that I should pay for my own gas and my desk and internet and everything else. Like, that's great. When you're paying someone, you know, 10 bucks in an hour, then all those other costs add up pretty quickly. And most of what you find is, dirty secret in a lot of gig work is most of the income you make in delivery is on the tip. Mm. So, but that, 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 but that means then the way you show the tip matters a lot and the way you calculate the tip matters a lot and the way you distribute the tip matters a lot and the way you default, all those things matter a lot. And then there's things now that are happening called tip baiting where a customer says, because no one will take my order, they add a high tip. And then after the fact, the app allows them to change the tip back to zero. So there's all these things that that you can imagine like manipulation happens when you take what should be kind of a free market type system. Yeah. And now you like apply a tech layer that can manipulate both parties to like make them, you know, you're making a marketplace, a digital marketplace, which means you have to control both sides. And for the shoppers, it's like, we're going to, we're going to convince you to come shop for someone. Here's a bunch of money you're going to get. And then after the fact you do the shop and then we change it on you. So there's all those things sort of emerge that we were just like, what the heck is wrong with this system? And we, so we came up with a pretty basic solution, which was, why I, our question like why do you work for this like these like really shitty companies like really <laughs> shitty companies like these are companies like you just they're just ter- i mean just shitty companies like yeah. no question about it no, like no, they just no. like i mean if, and if you like in san francisco the minimum wage is 16 dollars. yep i was not making 16 dollars. i was some i was driving down one trip i made i made i spent two hours on 880 to do a to do a delivery for target pick up for dark target and i think i made six dollars yeah. for two hours yeah so now that might be if you if you worked if i worked more hours than i would have made but like it's it's not okay to pay me six dollars yeah um no, no. and no and it's in their whole model the whole model is based on like the gig model is based on how do you get people to do this these these this work and pay them a weight that's like that's like attractive to the market which means just like the minimum possible and normally you have hundreds of years of minimum wage laws and worker rights, all those things that protect them. But gig was kind of this magic of like, hey, never mind. Like you're your own boss. Do whatever you want. You're, we're going to pay you whatever the market demands, which is, hey, for groceries, it's three bucks. Great. I need three bucks. I'll pay you three bucks. Yeah, my cat gas cost me $4. So it's like I'm actually losing money in this, in this whole value proposition. So that was the, for us the inspiration of, great, what would it take for you to actually be your own boss like instead of actually working for some really crappy company that's that's underappreciating you and manipulating you and underpaying you what if you actually could be your own boss and be your own boss is a lot of things be your own boss is is work when you want to work be your own boss is 
pick your own clients. So especially if you look at shopping, most of the people who are doing shopping are women. Right. And you can imagine here the stories, some of the people that they're delivering to, they're not people you'd want to be delivering. You'd want a, a woman going to at night or whatever else dropping off at. So, so who you shop for matters a lot. Totally. How much you make. If you're an owner and you're a contractor, you should be able to say like, my hourly rate is $15 an hour, 20 bucks, yeah. whatever it is you like, you should, and versus, versus someone saying, Hey, Nate, here's, I'm going to give you $6 for that grocery delivery. And you have to take it or leave it. It's, it's not, it's not a normal model for, for, for an entrepreneur. Um, and then the biggest one is the beauty of being, especially a small business owner is, is once you find a customer and you delight them, they're going to come back every day or week or month or whatever that is. And they're going to book you over and over again. And that's like the magical, like lifetime value of a customer. And gig has completely said, no, 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 you're paid per transaction. Like this is like, you know, one of our, one of our advisors compares this to, um, an investor's is like to like gig is the new, like is the new, um, factory. It's like you're paid, you know, you're yeah, if you forget any, any laws. Yeah. Widget yeah. Work, yeah. yeah widget work. So you're getting paid for this thing. And as soon as you turn off your app, your value is the zero. You're making no more money. And if you deactivate, you got no retained earnings. But if you have a client base, even if you're like a little food truck, a food truck, when you turn off, you, you, you still have the customers that want your service. Turn it back on, they're going to come back to you. And then the value, in the case of if you do an amazing job delivering DoorDash or Instacart, the value accrues back to the, to the marketplace because you're going to book again and you're going to get another random person. Yeah. Even if I give you an amazing experience, I don't get that. So that to us is like is like a fundamental like economic disconnect yeah. on the way gig works. So we said, great. It's this is the from the beginning of time, you were either a, you know, I was econ major. Um, you're either labor or your capital. And if you're labor, you do what you're told and you like, and there's now obviously there's laws to protect you, so it's like can't be exploited, but like there's there's that, or your capital, which means you put money out at risk. And if you do really well, you're gonna do amazing. If you do really poorly, you're gonna do poorly. And we said, right, let's, let's figure out that model, but then do it in a way where, how do you make it easy? Like there's actually really to do your own grocery delivery company is actually, we found pretty hard. Oh yeah, um, for sure. For a bunch of reasons. And the first one was, we said, Hey, great. You don't like Instacart or Shift or DoorDash. Like, why don't you just do this yourself? And the first thing people said consistently was, I don't have the money to buy your groceries. And we we're like, wait, what do you mean? Like, just to take your credit card and then like go buy it. Well, most gig workers don't have credit cards, they yeah. have debit cards. And yeah, or they don't have the capital. I mean, it's it's access yeah. to capital. It's capital. It's capital. So it's yeah. like no one calls it capital. You do. You and me to call it capital, yeah. but like it's not a. But it, it it effectively is. We call it like working capital. Yeah. Like working capital is what every business needs. You know, whether you're a restaurant or you're a grocery shopper, or you need working capital um, to fund to make your business run. So we, we effectively, our first product was working capital, which was, we are going to give you a credit card that we can really facilitate where it can be used, how much can be used for, and we're going to supply the cash, you know, effectively out of initially it was out of our own bank accounts, yeah. right? Supply the cash right. to now buy these groceries in advance before you got paid. Um, because it would typically, if you think about taking credit cards, it takes up to five days for you to like recognize that money. So mm -hmm. try, even if I, if I buy your groceries, deliver it tonight, charge your card. I don't get paid. It could be three days or five days over the, over the weekend. I might need to have five days of float. Yeah. yeah um, no, this, so that, this, this is a huge problem, even with uh, hourly workers. Um, there, there's a company that 
called Daily Pay. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so one of my clients actually invested in Daily Pay, um, <clears throat> and great, great bunch of people trying to solve this sort of exact problem with this. Well, I've worked, but I don't get paid for two weeks. But I got, you know, my rent due, or I have an unexpected expense. I don't have float. I don't have working capital for my life because of whatever reason. So, yeah, this is really super cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Come on, go on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so working capital, that was the beginning. So we, um, and that got us going. Like we had, we had no website. We had no app. We had nothing other than um, we had talked to a bunch of credit card issuers and eventually convinced one to let us start issuing credit cards. In fact, these were debit, programmable debit cards out of New York. And that was, and we started literally put these things in the mail and start shipping them out. Um, and then once people got orders, we would then, you know, literally we would manually open up the dashboard, fund the cards, um, defund them when they're done, charge the customer. Everything was, everything was like literally me and the team, <laughs> me, Joel and Tom, like, you know, doing this until one morning it, um, we had someone in, in Michigan get an early morning order, 7 a.m., which is, um, I think that was 4 a.m. Our, our time. I wasn't awake. <laughs> the card did the card didn't work because <laughs> yeah. there was no money on it. And then we realized, wow, we probably need to automate this whole process, right? Of like actually like let's automate the card and do all these things. And so then we so that's where then Tom really um who's our who's our co-founder and CTO, we began to build the infrastructure to now say order comes in, we move money here, we then have a way to charge the cards. We had a we had a very basic app and that turned into sorry, very basic website that turned into a very basic app to now begin to facilitate the movement of money between a client a uh, card to buy groceries and then um, ultimately paying out to the business owner in this case. And that was the beginning of um, our infrastructure. And then I was like, great, once you have that, hey, how do I manage my client base? So sort of a CRM type experience. Mm -hmm. Hey, how do I manage my orders? So that's kind of like ERP type stuff. Yeah. Um, how do I do marketing? So now we had like a whole marketing automation to create a website for you. Um, how do I um, message? How do I create Facebook content? Build out a whole coaching program. So it's like, how do you do coaching? Not on, not when you start when you start a gig company app. It's like, hey Nate, here's how you pick avocados, or here's how you pick bananas. Right. A good business owner, a good shopper in our case, doesn't. No one needs to tell them how to pick avocados. Like they got it down pat. We we I learn from them all the time. Like how to pick pick better better produce and, and fruits and vegetables and meats. But what they need help on, like like a lot of us as entrepreneurs, is how do I tell my story. Yeah. How do I, how 100%. do I talk about my business? How 100%. do I create, I mean, a Facebook page, like that's actually not, that's actually a hard thing to do. Like we do Facebook advertising is to me, it's, it's almost a scam as if you're a small business, <laughs> owner, you just type, put in your credit card no. and you dial up to 50 bucks a day. Yeah. It, it, things just magically start getting spent and you have no idea yeah, no, what's going I'm on. Totally with you. No, I mean, that's what I do for a living now, right? Is the storytelling you know, helping businesses tell their stories. And that's the reason why I was so attracted to dumpling and what I do with some of my players from other professional athletes about entrepreneurship and kids, because the biggest challenge is, is opportunity. This working capital is, is, is a big one, but also yeah. they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> and it's not easy as an example, set up a website do all the things that are required to be a digital business nowadays. I mean, just, it's hard. And, and so that's why it's so fascinating that how, how you guys have sort of come to this, which I'm shocked it's taken this long for someone to do, yeah. but it's great. Just really great. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you, and you saw this in your, your career. It's like, 
people figured this out in the e-commerce space. Yep. Uh, before you had to, you you can net, create a website itself and have servers was impossible. Then again, things like eBay emerged and eventually like Etsy and Shopify, where you mm -hmm. can now take your passion mm -hmm. and now all the tools were there to like sort of start selling your whatever widget you create, you could start selling this, you know, across the across the country, across the globe. What hadn't been solved is we, we call this like, you know, hyper local commerce. Yep. Where it's where it's things that are happening in your in your backyard where it's very physical. You have to buy things, pick things up, drop them off, but do it in a profitable way and it's sort of at scale. Um, and working capital becomes an issue, a website becomes an issue, operate, all these things become an issue. And now, you know, investors tell us this is kind of, you know, business in a box. Mm -hmm. What are all the things you need to run a business? Yep. It's working capital, it's, it's, it's marketing, it's, it's CRM, it's ERP, it's financial management, all those things. And we've sort of, we sort of tried to take it where Gig has done a really good job is how do you make it, all that fancy stuff work in an app and make right. it really simple. Right. And now we sort of say, it's like you run your whole business with your, with your pointer finger. Like this is not yeah. like have a whole like infrastructure warehouse. Like you have your car, you have your own skills or, you know, passions or hustle, whatever you want to call that. And then your phone with your finger. And that is effectively your business. And then, you know, we give this little fancy, can't see it over the pocket, but we have a fancy black dumpling card. Cool. And this is your working capital, yeah. um, you know, with a little wallet and you pull it out. And this is, you know, this is, this is how you run your business on this, on this personal card here um, that we effectively fund, fund the groceries on. Yeah. So that's, that's really where, where it all came from. And I think this is, this is, we think the future for, if you think about entrepreneurs today is so much, so many of them have the only option, especially in today's climate with unemployment where it is today. Yeah. The, you know, gigs, you know, we, you know, we see the gig companies really as predators to, to, to unemployment, which is, Hey, you don't have a job. No problem. Open up this app, install it, start driving, and you're going to be, you know, you're going to be making way more money than you could otherwise. Um, but when you read through it, like if you look at what what stats Uber talks about, it's anywhere from like seventy to ninety five percent of Uber drivers churn every year. Yeah. yeah. And it's 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 like if you told me you, I'm going to have a business where ninety five percent of my of my employees churn every year something is broken. Like that is a broken business model. Yep. And the only way you do it is if you have enough, the only way that model works, you have to have a constant funnel of supply coming in. Yep. Who you can like basically turn and burn, come on in, use your car, use your gas, wear down your brakes, you know, beat up your car and just keep on. As long as there's another, as long as there's another 10, 10 Uber drivers coming in the funnel, the model's beautiful. It's yeah. a terrible model, but like the model works. Yeah. And now the, you know, in the case of recession, you know, more people say I need money. So they're willing to do these really you know, our case, terrible jobs, um, for whatever it takes, because it's the only, it's the only opportunity. Yeah. Um, and we found is like, listen, there needs to be a better opportunity. that's more sustainable. Um, where you actually, you actually do control. If you have the work ethic and the hustle, we're going to make sure you're successful. We're going to give you a path to be successful where it's like, you take these tools. We have our, our, our very first hire when we got venture funded was not an engineer. It was one of our best, um, business owners and who was who was very active in the community we hired her as a coach now she runs our whole now she runs our cool. whole coaching community yeah and that was all about how do you talk how do you have the confidence to talk about yourself yeah that's really hard like really you know it's like oh even it's, people who, who have like it's great good great it's hard it's super hard it's, and so we we coach that yeah it's the reason why i do this podcast actually it's to uh practice talking to people of all sorts of different entrepreneurs but also the uh you know, selling myself and what I do and how I do it. And it's such a hard thing to promote yourself. I mean, even if you're like 
good at it, it's still hard because it, you some you know some people are they just come across as like full of themselves, and that's those are you know five percent of the population. But the rest of us, you know, there's a difference between bragging and confidence and arrogant and you know being an a hole. <laughs> there's this whole mix of things, you know. And um, I I just really th- well so. What's interesting about what you guys are doing is that there's this whole, you know, retail 3.0 movement, which I'm sure you've heard mm-hmm. of, where the on-demand, on-premises, online model of retail is absolutely happening. And you see that time and time again. And it, and it does look like that, that, that you know, the, the new reality of retail and service and gig and all this sort of stuff, I hope, is going to kind of go your way, you know, go the dumpling way. Um, yeah. as opposed to the gig way, because I don't see any real value to the worker in the gig economy other than here's some money, right? I mean, and, which is fine and like people need money, but long-term value, long-term sustainability, long-term growth, how communities can pull themselves up and, you know, by their quote unquote bootstraps when some of them don't even have the bootstraps, that's the biggest challenge, right? And I think yeah. you guys have the model that seems to be doing a really good job of that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, you know, you're spot on. I think it's so much of what we find is if you look at just how businesses become really successful, is there some notion of like economies of scale? Mm-hmm. So if you're like Amazon, it's a great, I mean, whether you like it or not, the, the model, there's a huge economies of scale, you know, where it's like the more, the bigger they get, the cheaper shipping is, the more products they have. And now when you think about buying anything, you're going to go to Amazon first. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to know probably people are getting underpaid and exploited in the, in the, in the warehouses and all these other bad things that are happening there. But it, it's, a, it's a pretty darn good service. Um, if you're a consumer, um, other places we think, and by the way, they suck a lot of value out of communities into like, you know, up to, up to, up to, you know, Seattle right now. Right. Um, right. We think gig very similar where it sucks a lot of value and all the money coming into the system. It barely pays minimum wage to the people doing the work and then sucks all the value back into San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the difference though in gig is there's, there's actually not a lot of economies of scale where if you think about running a national, you know, if you, if you're running a national taxi cab company, there's some like a, maybe overhead type stuff, but so much of it is actually like what happens on the ground. Right. Um, and if you, in grocery, we found the same cases, like there's so many different stores and exceptions and this and that, where if you can provide people the, the, the very baseline set of like business tools and give them all the control, they're going to be able to do all the things they need to do on the ground in their community. And then most of the value that they actually, that you as a client put into the system goes back into the same community and it's yeah. much more. And obviously we take, we're, we're a business. So we, so we obviously have, have our, have our profit as part of that, but it's a very small sliver of the entire value chain versus it just as sucking this vacuum that sucks most of the value out of the system somewhere else. Um, to us is, is really the, is really trying to bring this like retail 3.0 sort of back into people's communities. Um, and I think also where I think consumers, we see as that's the future of consumers yeah. of, of even in retail, if you look at, even, you know, bookstores you would think would be dead, like bookstores would be, would be dead, right? <laughs> yeah. They should, I mean, but the reality is there's actually a, a maybe today they're actually not a great place, but um, the bookstores that have survived are the ones that are able to figure out the local community and make it a place where you want to gather. And it's not about, hey, if you want to buy any book for the cheapest price, go to Amazon. But if you care about, you know, supporting the community, a place to sit and read and flip through it and do all those things that people also want to do, local bookstores were actually thriving in that environment. Um, Barnes Noble's not, but the yeah. local mom and pop bookstores is. And I think that's where we see 
that more and more consumers, they do care, hey, who's actually, if my Uber driver is sleeping in his car every night, like, is that a model that I want to support? If my Instacart shopper is making $6 an hour and can't afford to live here and then can't afford to feed his or her family on that, on that, like, that's, do I want to support that model? And then also just like, I want someone who actually does care. Like, hey, pe- the people that are picking my food, I want them to actually care about what they're picking. And yeah. you see these stories of people like, hey, my bag of groceries smelled like cigarette smoke and it was squished and they got the wrong stuff. And my kid has peanut allergies, but I got, but I got peanut butter. Like all yeah. these things sort of emerge where people do. And we think consumers care more about like the ethical sourcing of their products and who actually does the work matters, you know, mattered probably less 10 years ago. But in 2020, we think matters a lot more in terms of consumers saying, I'm going to vote with my, with my, with where I spend my money. And it's going to be on people in my community and not some Silicon Valley company hanging out in San Francisco um, that I don't know and exploits all my, all my users. Yeah. I mean, it's like almost sort of the ultimate franchise model, but yeah. a little bit more, you know, obviously not as brick and mortar and, and, and stuff like that. But, but what, what I, what I find just again, Shock! No one's thought of this before because <laughs> it's a great <laughs> idea. Um, so kudos to you and and, and your co-founder, uh, co-founders. Um, I, I, how I'm just so curious, like how, like I mean, so you you did the gig work, you know, you you and your your three co-founders, um, yeah, you know, come together or quit your jobs. How did that dynamic work? I mean, you said one of them's a CTO type, and then you're like the economist type. Uh, is it Joel's the other one who's? Yeah, Joel, yeah, Joel's. Yeah, he's, he's all the marketing, sales, community. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so co um, you know, we, we joke, and I'm sure you heard this from other entrepreneurs, but, you know, we spend more time with uh, with each other, me, Joel, and Tom, than we do with our family, um, <laughs> especially, in, especially in COVID times where we've been, been working a lot. Yeah. And so we, the, and when things get tough, like they get real tough, right? Because especially, so those relationships get strained a lot. Mm-hmm. And we we're really lucky in that I, Joel and I used to, uh, our very first job in Austin, Texas for National Instruments, we, we sat side by side doing tech support. Oh, cool. And uh, he had to listen to me for years and I probably killed him. because <laughs> <laughs> I, I used I to use on... National Instruments stuff all the time when I was an engineer. I know. Oh, there you go. So, so, so if you ever probably called in, you might have talked, spoken to me or Joel or one probably. of our friends. What, what, what um, product line were you guys representing? Um, so we, we, um, we did almost all of them. Uh, but I, uh, I did a lot of the, the text-based tools. So like, la- so like uh, CVI and Measurement Studio. Oh, yeah. Of course, uh-huh. of course, LabVIEW was the one that we all did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then all the, the DAC boards and test measurement yep. uh, uh, hardware. So all those things we used, used we used all that stuff. <laughs> all that. So stuff. it was it was a great. So it was a, it was actually a lot of fun. And I'll tell you more about our support model at, at Dumpling. We learned a lot from doing support for a long time. Um, but a lot, we had met and then worked together for four years in National Instruments. I left. Um, Joel stayed, uh, and we were maintained like you know just close friends. Like you know. We were in each other's weddings. Um, Joel's my daughter's godfather. All these things were really tight um, group and always knew, hey, we don't know what we're going to do, but the people you work with, especially if you're working, you know, long hours, like really matter a lot. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. And then Tom, Tom I've known for 10 years. And actually, we, we met um, very randomly in, 
I, my wife and I had just moved to the Bay Area and we said, hey, we have to have like some sort of activity that we can do together. Mm -hmm. So we, we were flipping through the community catalog for the community center and it was um, Kung Fu. <laughs> and, we were, cool. and there was a Kung Fu called Wing Chun, which uh -huh. was, you know, the, 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 the advertising is like, this is the only martial art invented by a woman. Oh, cool. So like, that was interesting. Like, so, so we did that. And then we get there. And there's this big, tall instructor, you know, six, five, you know, built guy, who definitely not one you'd want to mess with in terms of, um, and we, we were doing that for, for, for years. And at some point I remember asking, hey, where do you work? And he said, oh, like, I work at Cisco. And I was like, really? I work at Cisco too. And that became sort of like a conversation. I'm like, well, this guy's also an engineer. Like we do all this kind of stuff. And we also stayed close. And then eventually when I started a company, he was the first person um, in terms of like, when we said, we need to build up a team across business and technology. Um, he was the, he was the, he was the person we called and, and he was from day one and like the mission of doing good with technology for people that need it yeah. is just inspiring for a lot of people who've sort of done, done the opposite for a lot of us, you know, working whether it's with other companies where it's just for a very small group of people. And, and that's where I think this model we've sort of been able to find really amazing people to jump on board with the, with our team, sort of do that. Um, and then we do things a lot of from that, and from that tech support background, we still, you know, initially me, Tom, Joel, the 24 seven tech support ourselves. So every call came to us. <laughs> cool. Which is great. I mean, that you need to, obviously people talk about that. You have to do that. You have right? to do that. You, you learn so much. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of really good customer support and customer service. I think that's the hidden weapon in every tech company that they mess up. And also actually probably one of your best sales channels with the highest ROI, um, that's just me. I've, I've actually learned that through uh, another, um, through, through Sutro, who I work with, but Chris is their customer service person. He's just a rock star. And just yeah. learning from him, like the methodology, it, it's profound that how, yeah, how well it, that it, does. You, you nailed it. And it's, 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 we think it's, especially for a company in the early days trying to figure out what's the problem and the solution, that, mm -hmm. that pairing is, 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 is really important. And so and if you hear it secondhand, it's never the same as like, I'm on the phone. I remember being on the phone, I'm like in the basement of the YMCA at swim lessons for my, for my son with the sporadic Wi-Fi trying to like, you know, figure stuff out. And you're like, wow, that's a real problem. Like that's actually, like, that's, we got to fix that. So those are the things where now we have everyone in our company comes in uh, first week. What do you do? Well, you better become a gig worker. So sign up for one of the gig platforms and like do that job for a week wow. and first like experience firsthand, like eye opening moment of wow. this. It's like, you know, it's, it's like to do that and you'll, you will see what the problem we're solving. Yeah. And then two is everyone, including, including all of us, like we are, we have rotating call shifts. Um, I still do it today. I still I went from every day to three days a week. And I do one day a week where it's like on the phone. Uh, well, actually now it's on in the app, you know, tech, yeah. chat support, right. but in the app, uh, be on the phone with on tech support. And um, that is like fundamental to everyone sort of breathing, like what our users go through. And some of our best ideas have been, hey, one of our engineers is like, wow, I don't know that was a problem. Let me go fix that problem. <laughs> like that's so, like, so those kind of things are yeah. just really Im important to, to know. And Pete. we sort of built that, you know, sort of saying like, hey, if you do tech support, if you do it as a full-time job, you know how important it is. Yeah, and um, totally. we learned that at National Instruments, and now we've, we've really built that into our whole company. Today. Yeah, it's funny. When, when, you, when you let engineers out in the field and talk to customers, a lot of people get nervous about that. It's like the most eye-opening thing for engineering types to 
like, oh, you actually use the thing I built <laughs> and it's yeah. broke. Oh, I got to fix that. I mean, I remember when I would go out, like I used to design semiconductors and chips and, you know, yeah. Bluetooth and USB, all these things. Right. And I remember I would go to a customer. It was like Logitech was a big customer of Cypress mm-hmm. Semiconductor back, back when I used to work there. And I'm sitting down with the application engineers, the guys that are going to be designing my chip into their system. And they're telling me, well, this is how we do it. And this is what we like. This is what we don't like. And I'm just sitting there going, this is amazing. <laughs> like, this yeah. is the person wow. that's actually using my thing. And they're telling me. And I'm the one designing it. So it's pretty cool. It, it, it is amazing. Yeah, because it's one of those things where, you know, when everyone has their own opinion on what things people are going to use. And yes. all we've learned is we're generally, and the smarter you are, the more wrong you are. Right? It's like, it's like <laughs> if you're it. smart, you could convince yourself and convince others how right you are. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you're wrong you're just going to be like you assume you're wrong and if you the only way you know you're right is you just ask a lot of people that aren't you um and ask them what they think and that will tell you pretty fast what's going on or or if you you get on the phone you will hear very quickly what's broken and you will know what things to fix sooner because you're like wow i don't want to get called 10 times a day on this issue anymore (laughs) um so we think that's that's just a magical thing that every company we think should do and um surprisingly don't and we've sort of built that from the beginning yeah, I mean, that's just a great, I think, a great place to end, Nate. Um, customer service, A number one, and really, really think what you're building at Dumpling is just going to be the next thing. I mean, every community I've ever been in where I'm trying to help that community learn about entrepreneurship, everything you talk about is the challenges they they need to overcome. And having that access to capital, working capital, helping them build their own business. So huge. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast and doing what you're doing and good luck to you. Yeah. I appreciate it. And hope, uh, thanks for the opportunity and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.